Our text is Psalms 103, verses 1 through 4. Psalms 103, verses 104, uh, excuse me, 1 through 4. Psalms 103, verses 1 through 4. And um, that's right there in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms. So find that, and, and that's where we will read tonight. We ask people to pray that we might raise funds for helping missionaries. That None of that missionary money that comes in goes for uh, expenses and salaries or anything here at the church. As a matter of fact, the uh, mission uh, fish fry cake auction, uh, that's separate. We don't take that out of the uh, Faith Promise Mission Fund. So I, I just want you to know that because when you're giving to missions, it's going to missions. Here at home and around the world where there are missionaries that we can help out, that's what it does. Now, secular places do it differently. A, a, a local school, not OCA, okay, a local school was out collecting bottles as a fundraiser. One young man knocked on the door, and this old sour-looking face came and answered the door and said, What do you want, Sonny? Scared to death, he said, do you have any empty beer bottles? We're collecting for our school fundraiser. He said, boy, do I look like I'm that kind of person who would drink beer? He said, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do you have any vinegar bottles? <laughs> It'll catch on. What's vinegar? Okay, so um, anyhow, that went over big, didn't it? All right, Psalms 103, verses 1 through 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, and who crowneth thee, with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now shall we pray. Father, tonight we're preaching a sermon in line here with the Lord's Supper that we'll be taking here uh, at the conclusion of the service. You said do it in remembrance of you, but what is it you want us to remember? And so, Father, we pray that through the preaching of your word tonight that could be made clear in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The local church was given two ordinances to do, and that, that was given by Jesus Christ. Baptism by immersion, we saw that tonight. Baptism, uh, baptism by immersion, which happens after you're saved, not before you're saved. After you're saved. Now, some people believe they get saved, they get lost, then they get saved again, they get lost, they get saved again. Now, but they believe that the baptism is uh, just that one time. You've got to be saved. You must be born again and again and again and again, okay? But the baptism, for some reason, that's taken care of in, in water that allowed to set there corrupts. Why does corruptible water in their eyes have greater power than the pure blood of Jesus Christ that will never corrupt? I don't understand that, but it was the blood of Jesus that cleansed us from our sin. And so... Observance of the Lord's Supper is the other ordinance that we were given, and that is also something that you partake of after your salvation. Both of these ordinances, whether it's baptism or salvation, does not save a soul. 
It's something that we do after salvation. But the second ordinance, which we'll also do tonight, uh, was uh, a command that was given by the Lord Jesus himself in Luke chapter 22. And then the words of Jesus were repeated in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, where it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance for me. For, uh, excuse me, uh, of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So again, we're going to be doing this tonight in remembrance of him. But what is it we should remember? Well, we need to remember what his death, burial, and resurrection did for we who are saved. Uh, in our text, in verses 1 through 4, I, I, I want to insert verses 1 and 2 there, the word bless. Now, the word bless means to speak well of. Uh, the word blasphemy has in it the idea of doing the opposite, to speak evil of. And so the word bless is to speak well of him, to praise him in your heart and in your mind as well as through your lips as often as you can. And the idea is the blessing, the name of Jesus, and we're told there to bless him, O oh my soul. Bless the name of Jesus in your soul. That is, in your inner man, even in your spirit. Now, to do that, you must be meditating on the Word of God. You must be meditating, asking God to say, Lord, show me thy person. Show me thyself. Help me to know you more intimately. As you meditate, you have more for which to praise and bless his name. Because his name is holy, he won't lie. That's why we read in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, you'll notice there, there is no exceptions. It's for whosoever will. So, if you're willing to believe on his name, now when you're believing on his name, you're trusting him with your life. You're just trusting him with your eternity, with your soul. You're trusting him completely. And so he says in the next verse, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Why? Because God designed the plan of salvation. If man did it, we'd be working for our salvation. God did it all. And he provided a salvation which was fully paid for our sins. And yet he did it in the person of Christ out of his love for us. You know, I'm going to embarrass her just a moment here. But, man, I love this lady I'm married to. Now, we've been married for uh, <clears throat> a long time. And... Um, you know, over, over 50 years ago, you know, we, we met, and, and, and then it'll soon be our 50th anniversary. And, and so in, in doing that, you know, I, I mean, this is the lady I love with all my heart, but sometimes I wonder, why did she ever marry me? Now, God knows our heart and our mind 
She didn't know mine. I probably wouldn't have been married if she did, okay? But um, we're, here we are, and we're married, and 50 years later, we're still together. And so I wonder sometimes, um, what did she ever see? Sometimes I wonder why she stuck with me, let alone what did she see. Why did she stick with me? That, that's even more amazing. That's beyond me. But maybe she figured out how to cope. I don't know. But, uh, you know, she's the love of my life. Yet, what I want you to know, as much as I love her, I've got to look at my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because it's far more amazing, it's far more mystifying that God would love me and save me as well as afterwards to keep me. Therefore, I should love God even more than I do my wife. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, which speaks of discipleship. This is not speaking of salvation. Get that out of your mind. Luke 14, 26 speaks of discipleship. But there he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Now, we're not talking about, and I think it's very evident about that, it's not talking about hating your wife in the matter that people think of hate today because he also tells you to love your wife. All right? So it's not thinking that, but rather, when there's a choice between God's direction and those that you love, you choose the Lord's direction, even if the family were to separate from you and have nothing else to do with you. Stick with the Lord. Don't you think it was hard for the prodigal's father to not go after him and say, well, just forget all the things? No. There was a standard. It was a God standard. Instead of compromising God, he prayed for his son. God was first. God was first. Therefore, we should not forget all his benefits, as verse 3 says. And what are those benefits? Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Now, it's interesting that word forgiveness that is written there because in the Hebrew, that Hebrew word for forgiveness is never. It is never used as man forgiving man. Anywhere in the Old Testament where you see the word forgiving, forgiveness, it is God forgiving man. It is never man forgiving man. Man doesn't have that power to forgive the sins. Only God can forgive sins. You remember the story of the uh, four men that was carrying the guy that had the palsy and in the bed? And they were trying to get in to see Jesus, that he might be healed there in Capernaum. And, and, and of course, uh, the crowd was so big they couldn't get by, so they said, okay. Let's climb up on the roof. They climbed up on the roof, and they tore up the guy's roof. I've always wondered if Jesus healed the roof after that, but uh, they tore up the guy's roof. They tore it up to let the man down there where Jesus was. And the words of Jesus 
is simply, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now the Pharisees, all these religious people were upset. Who can forgive sins but God? Who is this man? He blasphemes. But you see what they don't know? This is Emmanuel. It's not what they believe. They don't believe he's Emmanuel, God with us. He, they don't believe that he is God come in the flesh, but he is God come in the flesh. Therefore, he can heal him. Now, this man that's in a bed, that's bedridden, he heals him. He heals him. Now, you think of that. He tells these Pharisees, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And the man got up, and he walked. But we also need to understand that the reason the Pharisees were upset, they knew, these were the educated men that studied the doctrine and the old scriptures and so forth, they knew that only God for, could forgive sins. That Hebrew word, only God would forgive sins. Only God could do that. Now think of forgiveness in this instance. And the word used in Hebrew backs this up. The word forgive means to pardon, forgive, of course, despair from negative consequence. That consequence that is due us as a result of our actions. For an example, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. There's not a person in this auditorium. There's not a person under the sound of my voice, whether on radio or on the Internet. There's not a person walking on this planet that is due the wages of sin, death, to go to hell. Every one of us do that. That's what we've earned. Forgiveness has to be only offered by the one who has the power over death and hell. So Revelation 1.18 says that he has the keys of hell and of death. Only he can forgive sins. And yet he says, if you come to him, he'll in no wise cast you out. And so he says, he forgiveth all thine iniquities. Iniquities is defined in the Hebrew lexicon as this. Depraved action, depravity, crime, fault, mischief, iniquity. Now, people have different thoughts about the, that definition. But one thing we know is that he judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 1 Corinthians 4 and chapter uh, 4 and verse 5 says that he will reveal the hidden things of darkness. This tells us that the sins of our mind and our hearts fits right in there. In Genesis chapter 6, God tells Noah he's going to destroy the world with a flood of waters. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, but God's going to destroy the world with a flood of waters. He has to build an ark. But why would God destroy them with a flood of waters? Well, what he says in verse 5 is, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God sent a flood of waters because even of the imaginations, the thoughts in the heart. Think about that. 
Even the thoughts of the heart, God sends a flood of water and destroys everyone on the earth with the exception of Noah and his family, those eight people and the animals that are on the ark with him. This tells us then that the very thoughts and secret sins are before God. Those thoughts of some men who dwell in pornography. And by the way, men look at pornography. Ladies do pornography. Some ladies do pornography in different stages. Not fully undressed, but they wear clothes that reveals a lot to stir the lust of men. Wanting men to look at them and to think, oh, wow, look at them. Wow. Isn't it interesting that uh, Romans chapter 2 verse 16 says, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Jesus will judge the thoughts of men. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12 verses 13 and 14 we read this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And I'm telling you that, that every person on the face of this earth needs a Savior, and only Jesus is that Savior. Every person. No one is exempt. You can't go to heaven by doing the best you can. You can't even go to heaven by being baptized. You get baptized to show that you got saved. There, there's, you can't go to heaven by being religious, being confirmed or something of that nature. No, you've got to admit, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Because he sees even the intents and the thoughts of my heart. Now, is this not a reason then to bless his name? Knowing what we deserved, we deserved to go to hell, to be tormented forever in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, where there's no rest day or night, forever and ever. And if he doesn't pay the penalty on the cross, that's where we go. But Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. You see, our soul is diseased by sin. Oh, the benefits. Oh, the benefits. And that's what he said. Forget not all his benefits. The benefit of forgiving all iniquity. And my soul's diseases. All of us have sins that so easily beset us. Some have taken 1 John chapter 3 and it says, well, that means that uh, you won't sin habitually. Yes, we sin habitually. We sin every day. Some of us have different sins. I mean, not, no, it's not murder. It's not getting drunk. It's not drugs. It's not a, all the things that we think of bad in society's mind. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's just plain old laziness. I mean, there's so many things, sins of the heart, sins of the mind, a critical spirit, a gossiping mouth. Isn't it interesting some of those things, like the gossiping mouth, are likened in its 
brevity before God in calling it an abomination using the same Hebrew word he calls homosexuality an abomination. That tells you of the danger that if a person tries to make it on his own, he's going to go straight to hell. And so, one of the benefits, he forgives all my iniquities and my soul's diseases. Those sins that so easily beset us, the weights that are cares of this world. Remember Jesus talking about Christians? Those people, now I believe in that parable, the seed on the ground, the first one there, you remember it, it went there on the roadside and the birds devoured it up. Some went on a rock and the, they, it, it wilted. I, I think those people are, get religion, but they don't get saved. But in the third one, it's in thorny ground. And it does grow up, but it becomes unfruitful. And he said those thorns... In a Christian's life, I believe that they are saved, but he lets us know that those thorns are the sins of the cares of this world, riches driving us more than the Word of God, and pleasures, and they make us unfruitful. Be it the sins of a depraved mind and thought life with evil intentions against others, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says it this way. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, into their joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's telling us he's judging over the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, for all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You can fool me, but you cannot fool God. I can fool you, but I cannot fool God. So be it that habitual sin in our life, or that in our soul, We need to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed. And he does that for those that come to him. He redeems. He's able to heal the soul's diseases. And what does he do with our sin? Well, if you jump down to verse 12 in the same chapter, Psalms 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Matter of fact, next verse says, Like as the Father pitieth his children, the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Isn't the fear of the Lord to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil way, uh, the forward mouth? The Bible says that's part of being the fear of the Lord. So I, I find that very interesting. Now in verse 4, he said, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. We remember him. When we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering, knowing that he took everything that was due us in order to redeem our life from destruction. We deserve destruction. Now, destruction 
would be eternity in a lake of fire where you'd never cease to exist. You'd never be able to escape. One second after death, it's too late. And so, he not only does that, though, he crowns us with his loving kindness and his tender mercies. Now, some people will extend mercy, but they won't do it tenderly. He redeems our life from destruction. So it's very important that we understand what that word redeemeth means. The Hebrew word means to redeem, to ransom, the idea of to buy back, to release, to deliver, to fulfill the duties of relationship. Now, you know, we, we have this on a national scene, international scene. They, they will, somebody will kidnap someone that's important and of a millionaire, multimillionaire, you know, and so forth. And they hold them for a ransom. And their argument is, you shouldn't pay that ransom. They go out and they do somebody else. People learn from that. And, they, they, and, and I understand that. I really do. But nobody could pay a ransom for our soul. So Jesus had to pay the ransom if we were to be ransomed. Filthy, dirty sins inside and out. Yet he ransomed me. What a Savior. What a Savior. He redeems our life from destruction. What a Savior. What a Redeemer. When I think of this, I think of uh, a couple examples in the Bible. Uh, they use this concept of the Lord redeeming us. First of all, I think of Ruth. Ruth was married, and she was a Moabitess, so she didn't have any inheritance of her Jewish husband. None whatever. None would belong to her. She couldn't have. And there was no son from her husband to, to step into that inheritance. And so she would need a kinsman redeemer. That's why God became a man. A kinsman to mankind. Only one man to begin with had the power to redeem Ruth. The first man, the most important man that had the first access to it. He could redeem Ruth. But he sees, wait a minute. To get that land, boy, that's great land. Oh, boy, that is great land. Boy, it produced, it would do all this for me. But to do that, he has to take Ruth as a wife, raise children by her, and the firstborn son would be the one that would be the heir instead of the son that would be under his name, it'd be under her husband's name that, she, that had died. So he says, I can't do that. Kind of like Adam, the day that he, he was told that ye eat thereof, you shall surely die. The word death means separated from God forever. He said, you'll surely die. 
and he would die, be severed from God in that lake of fire, and justly so. Although that fire, that hell, that place was prepared for the devil and his angels, he would have to be there. And all men who die without Christ go to a place that is so super in its torment. It wasn't designed just to torment people, spirits, devils, Satan himself. And yet, Satan doesn't love us. He wants us to go, but he doesn't love us. He wants us to go to hell because that hurts the heart and mind of Jesus Christ who does love us. And he proved it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, we could go on about the love of Jesus Christ and the love of God for us. But there's a next redeemer, Boaz. He's the next in line. Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ. God became a man that he might raise seed in the new Adam. Jesus Christ, the seed of eternal life. That which was lost in the first Adam was regained in Jesus Christ, as one has written, Milton, paradise lost, but paradise regained, and it's in Jesus Christ. Yeah, her first husband is a type of Adam. Boaz is a type of the second Adam. Of Jesus Christ. And when we look at this. Boaz redeems. But he's going to raise a child. And thus begins the line of Jesus Christ. David will be born. And on down. But it started way back there. And Boaz redeems to raise to life and, and, and then also that they might have what they lost in the fall. When Elimelech took his family out of Bethlehem and he went into Moab, he lost it all. But when he goes back, he's dead. He can't go. He can't go. That land is lost unless there's a kinsman redeemer. And so, it's regained in him. You know, Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world. But he said, you know what? They're mine to give. You know what he meant by that? When he tempted Adam and Eve to fall... They fell. Now look, Eve fell because she was deceived. Adam's sin was worse because he knew what he was doing. He knew it was wrong. His was a presumptuous sin. He fell. He fell badly. He, he, he fell and all the consequence just kept on paying. 
So when Satan offered the kingdoms of this world, he gained that when Adam and Eve fell. He was the prince and the power of the air. And, and he said, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you'll bow down and, and worship me because that's mine to give. He had gained it. Because before that, Adam was over everything. Now all of that is lost through sin. All the things in life that are lost through sin. The story of Job is another story that uses the same Hebrew word in Job 19 verses 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer the one that buys back, the one that ransoms me. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Now I kind of think Job's body is pretty well destroyed. That's been 3,500 years ago. But he knows he's going to see God. He's going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not going to see it somebody else for him. He's going to see it in his own resurrected body when Jesus Christ clothes him with a new body. This passion likened to his glorious body. Now Ruth nor Job can do for themselves what the kinsman redeemer who became a man and will do for them. He paid it all. The word destruction there in our text, verse 4, has the idea of corruption or a state that is unrepairable destruction. Past the healing of oneself. In our biblical examples, when Ruth comes back to the land, she's poor. She goes out into the fields and gleans. Had her husband lived, they could have had a field of their own. She goes out and, and the gleans in the fields of Boaz. But she's just like all the other poor people. She's going out there to glean. She can't partake in the actual harvest. It's what was left over. She's working. She has to work from morning to night just gleaning. She gets some, but it's not enough. Just like you can work all you want to work for your salvation, but you'll never save yourself. She could not buy it back. She's poor. So, to carry the name and the inheritance, she needs a redeemer. But it couldn't be just anybody with money. No. It had to be a kinsman redeemer. Somebody that was related to her husband. We were created in the image of God. And now God becomes a man that he might be a kinsman redeemer for us. And so Boaz takes that place and pays the price that she could not pay. If I'm going to go to heaven on my own, I must be able to die, have the outpoured wrath of God upon my human spirit poured out, be buried, and then three days later on my own strength and power raised from the dead. 
and make myself a new body. If I can't do that, then I need a Savior. We all need a Savior. Job, since he was saved, though he does not understand why all these terrible things have befallen him, he knows that his Redeemer liveth. His body will be put off one day, but his spirit is with the Lord in one day. He's going to be clothed with that body. And as painful as these old bodies that we have now may get, the day comes that the Lord tears his coming that we'll put it off. Or the rapture. And we will be accepted in the beloved. We find in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where he says, For our conversation, the word conversation in Philippians, everywhere else besides the book of Philippians, it usually means uh, uh, our, our matter of living, our way of life. But in Philippians, because of the Greek usage, it refers to citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We observe the supper, remembering what he shall do for us. Now let's look at the rest of the text very quickly. Verse 4, who crowneth us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Drop down to verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his love, his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That's what the bread symbolizes and the juice symbolizes, his body and blood to purchase our salvation. And yet, a hungry, thirsty man can have all kind of food in front of him, but if he doesn't eat and drink, then it doesn't help him at all. Christ did it all, but we have to receive what he did for us. And he will remove the sin from us as far as the east is from the west. He will not remember our sins anymore. It is he only who can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's only he who can crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies. There is no God like him in heaven nor earth, for he alone is God. So let's pray and ask God's help. Help us to be a righteous and holy people. Having victory over those sins that have so easily beset us. Confess and forsake those sins and, 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 and walk with God 
so that when we come to a table such as we do tonight, we don't come in an unworthy manner. He paid it all for us. He came to this cross. He came to this earth. He left heaven's glory. He sat on a throne high and lifted up that all the angels just, it was the greatest thrill in the world for them to be able to carry out his will, to be sent on the things that he would have them to do, to do something for him. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that you and I might have everlasting life. But, you must come to him. If you've never come to him for the salvation of your soul, I want to invite you to come to him tonight. I want you to be able to walk out of here tonight knowing that if you died tonight, that heaven's your home. Oh, I trust that you will. Let's